Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today I speak with Phoebe Kagame from Nairobi, Kenya. Phoebe has 10 years of experience in business development, account management, human resources, and partnerships in startups and nonprofits. Her greatest strengths are in systematically building community, nurturing relationships, and bringing diverse internal and external stakeholders together to drive impact projects forward. She is currently the head of operations at Mshule, Africa's first personalized knowledge building platform to make learning new things impactful and accessible through AI and SMS. In her role, she develops and cultivates partnerships that empower individuals and organizations to gain knowledge, skills, and aptitudes and assess impact via SMS. Prior to joining Mshule, she worked with the Kenya Society of Anesthesiologists and through local partners, policymakers, and industry, implemented various projects whose goals were to ultimately improve the practice and delivery of healthcare. These include coordinating for local, national, and regional continuous professional development programs and sessions, mapping the distribution and availability of anesthesia providers, enhancing networks for consultation and development of the national anesthesia guidelines. Outside work, she enjoys traveling and learning about new cultures, delving into African history and hiking. Phoebe and I spoke about being selected as a head girl in primary school, managing interpersonal conflicts in HR roles, working alongside her CEO and CTO, using performance improvement plans, and experimenting with a four-day work week. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Phoebe. Welcome to The Everyday Leader. I look forward to chatting with you today. Welcome to the show. Um, thank you very much for having uh, me, Chris. I'm also really excited to get to speak with you um, about the leadership journey. Awesome. So you work as the head of operations at Mshule in Kenya. But before we <laughs> get into that, could you tell us about a leadership story from earlier in your career where you knew uh, that you wanted to step up as a leader and leadership go was going to be in your future? Yeah, sure thing. I, but I will take you further back. Um, this was actually in primary school. And um, when I was in class four, I was made the head girl uh, of the school. And for four years, from class four to class eight, um, that, that was my role. And I actually enjoyed it. I honestly didn't think much about it until I was in university. And when I was in university, I actually went back to school and looked for my head teacher, my then head teacher, uh, Mrs. Chucky Sharif, because I wanted to understand what did she see in a 10-year-old girl that she decided um, she wanted me to take that position? And for four years, um, I have to add. So um, for me, that, that was actually my first foray uh, into leadership. And there are a couple of things that um, were, were interesting about it in terms of um, how what was expected of me then because um in addition to being the head um in addition to being the head girl there was also the expectation that i had to do well in class um my performance had to be good and i was able to balance that and it's the one thing that i have always carried with me that um there's that which um the role or the responsibility that you have been given that is the title but that the responsibility i mean um the role or the title that you have been given but there are also the responsibilities within that you have to deliver regardless of what your title is so that was actually my first foray into leadership head girl in primary school wow going way back i like it so uh, if i can understand that right the the head girl you were essentially selected Mm -hmm. by one of the teachers rather than like a student government where you're voted, right? 
Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I know there are a few schools that probably make that choice, but I was actually selected by the teachers. And, and that announcement was made by the head teacher. No preparation whatsoever. I, I remember we were in the school assembly and my name was called and they said I was the, the head girl. Then later on, sat down in terms of what is expected. Make sure the school is running okay. Make sure, um, you know, like um, students, essentially, you are the instrument or you are that liaison between the teachers and the students. And, and that in itself also meant uh, when, it come, when it came to getting things done, you also have to mobilize students, get, get their support um, to get things done. Planting trees, we actually did that. Cleaning the compound, cleaning classrooms, and so on and so forth. So um, that was a choice that was made by the school leadership in terms of the head teacher, the teachers and the head teachers. And it's something that I got to do and and I enjoyed. I mean, it was stressful at some point. It becomes stressful, obviously. But generally, I actually enjoyed, enjoyed it. Well, it's interesting you bring up this type of role because as I think about it, it's almost similar to the workplace in that the teacher is almost deputizing you as a leader, you're selected mm -hmm. and you are given certain responsibilities to oversee others. So mm -hmm. similar to what happens in the workplace where someone hires you to then mm -hmm. take on responsibilities and you're granted that power. Um, but then others maybe who are working for you or uh, being overseen by you haven't like voted or selected you as the leader. So mm -hmm. <laughs> wondering what um, learnings maybe came up early on, for example, mm -hmm. something that you were asked by the teacher to have the rest of your class do and yeah. you kind of struggled to get them on board with that. Yeah, sure. And, and I mean, I think that happens in the workplace as well, right? As, as you have rightly uh, mentioned. So um, I, I would say that generally a lot of times, I mean, I think even with the cleaning of the classroom, there is the feeling that um, this is something that should be done by someone else and not us because our core thing is to come to school, yes, keep wherever it is that we are seated clean. But ideally, as students, we don't get to do that. But we were actually a pretty uh, small and relatively new um, primary school. So even in terms of resources and, and funding then, um, this is work that had to be done by someone, wasn't going to be done by the teachers, had to be done by the students. And, and so, I mean, I think getting to that point where you try to get people see that, uh, or my, my now my fellow students see that we need to be in this environment and we need to do this. And, and one of the things I, I learned is um, once in a while, getting in, in the trenches with whomever it is I am, I, you know, like whatever group I am working with, even at my place of work, it gets to a point where um, currently um, you are talking about certain roles, certain things that need to be done and you delegate, but you check in with every team member and ask, where can I help right now? And it's not from a strategic or a thinking point of view. If we need to make calls, I will probably even jump in and make a few calls. So the one thing that I learned uh, is, okay, fine, you're asking us to do this, but are you also going to do it? I may not do it for the entire duration, but I will definitely do it or work with you um, at some point, getting that buy-in. So that is the one thing I consciously do. Um, I have consciously done, and I, continue, and I actually plan on consciously doing, because you don't want it to seem like you're asking people to do something that even you yourself cannot do. There's a difference between having the ability to do and not uh, you know, not doing it because you simply just don't want to do it for whatever reasons you have. So whenever the ability is there, most of the times ability is there, I will definitely join in. So yeah, for me, that was the biggest learning. You mobilize, be an empath, jump in, be part of it, work. 
also give evidence that this is something that can be done and how it should be done. So help me connect where you know you were a head girl in mm -hmm. primary school. Now, how did you get to be a head of operations at a, a tech startup in Mshula? Yeah. Because I, I've seen that you spent a number of years in various administrative and project management mm -hmm. roles at yeah. in, in healthcare organizations, uh, and now you're getting involved in a tech startup. So maybe walk me through uh, that journey. Um, sure thing. So um, the, the one thing that my current role has um, that is similar to my previous role is the fact that both of these positions were relatively new. And um, despite the fact that there were certain responsibilities or certain things that needed to be done, I also had the space to define these roles, define um, the positions and the responsibilities that had been given to me um, to actually meet the core objectives. So I have been very fortunate, Chris, to have a lot of flexibility. And just as I mentioned to you, like, uh, like I mean, just as I mentioned to you that even um, as, as the head girl, deciding that, okay, fine, you have been asked to get to have people do this, but uh, how about you join in and do this thing? So that has essentially been how I have moved on. And when I look back, even in secondary school, I have almost always been a mobilizer, Chris, of resources, both human and otherwise. When it comes to mobilizing, when it comes to pulling resources, getting people um, to work, getting people to actually believe in what the objective is, that has been me. So even in the administrative role, because one of the things I did was organize for, um, organize for events, uh, also as well as um, work through getting um, or, or rather managing resources that have come in, that has been me. So the, the titles have changed, definitely. Additional responsibilities have come in, but it has always been operation-esque uh, in terms of what I have done. So it was simply a matter of transitioning. And um, once I, after seven and a half years in my previous role, I felt that anything that needed doing, I had done. And I was looking for a new challenge. But the one thing I really still need, wanted was uh, an environment that would allow me to define to also uh, grow within the role and certainly experiment, which is what my current role with Emshule has afforded me. So I'm curious to what degree, uh, when you've defined these roles in operations, mm -hmm. uh, you must you know, be liking the role. Um, are there any elements that you don't like about the role that you've come to terms with uh, over the years and kind of how did you uh, overcome those challenges? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the things um, that my role has, like the both roles I've had to had, uh, is the human resource element of it, right? So whenever there's uh, whenever there's a group of people, there are bound to be different personalities, and that that is what you want in an ideal situation, right? Because with uh, different personalities, uh, with different mindsets, with different uh, backgrounds, then comes a whole host of amazing ideas that uh, will that are bound to spy you probably faster or further than if you are working with just like-minded people. And uh, with that, there must be conflict. So I mean, I think for me, uh, when it comes to dealing and and managing conflict especially when it when um individual the individuals that you're working with or the team members probably feel that whatever has been done or whatever is going is actually not only just affecting their productivity at work but hurts the essence or the core of who they are and this could probably be as a result of one team member not um 
not being available when they are required to be available or the feeling that another team member is con condescending and so on and so forth. So as an empath, for me, this was actually a difficult thing because a lot of times um, you know that decisions, I mean, rather you, you have to mediate, ideally, you have to mediate and you hope people will come to a resolution on their own and grow from that situation. But Chris, what happens when that is not the case? then you actually have to come in and you're no longer the mediator, but you have to make that decision. And when people have not owned that decision, or rather, but, and, but rather the decision has been imposed on them, there, there, there can be some tendency of you know, dissatisfaction of, of grudges and a lot, which obviously, um, if not resolved, leads to, uh, to further, pro I mean, to more problems further um, down the road. So for me, that is actually the, the element that I have come to accept that I will do my best, uh, which is within the practice of human resource and also within the practice of the organization and hope that whomever it is, whatever teams, whatever groups or individuals that are involved in the conflict that is there will feel that the situation, first of all, has been addressed to the best bit and, and, uh, and wants to grow from that. Is that always the case? Absolutely not. But it's, it's something that I have come to make peace with. That's definitely refreshing, uh, you sharing that you've come to, to terms or come to peace with, mm. with that element of HR. Mm. Uh, earlier in my career, um, I felt similarly kind of not not uh, the, the biggest fan of, of HR elements of running a business and scaling mm -hmm. a team. And I thought I could avoid that by going to a smaller team or even working on my own. But at the end of the day, there are just some things about the workplace, about running businesses that you need to kind of face um, yeah. and just uh, find ways to not necessarily excel at them, but yeah. do do them justice. So um, that's really a great insight. And so tell us more about uh, Mshule is a company where you've now been for close to three years. You started yeah. as operations manager mm -hmm. and now uh, for the past two years have been the head of operations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure thing. So um, um, Mshule, um, the M meaning mobile and Shule is a school in Kiswahili. Uh, we are an omnichannel knowledge building platform that makes personalized learning, evaluation, activation and data collection accessible and impactful. So when we started in 2017, our focus uh, was primarily on supporting primary school um, learners access um, literacy and numeracy content, 21st century skills, which are transferable, you know, um, because um, if you are competent or rather your literacy levels are, are great, then you will read different material, say, and, um, have good understanding and will do that which is expected of you. Numeracy also for the same thing. And um, currently, um, when we started, uh, we primarily did that uh, on SMS, but we currently deliver um, these tools that I have mentioned, the learn tool, the evaluate tool, the activate and data collection tool um, through both um, SMS and chatbot and are also working on expanding um, uh, to other medium. So we have delivered... Um, um, and, and supported over 25,000 households in 30 counties in Kenya. And this year, we actually expanded to mainland Tanzania and Zanzibar. And uh, we should be getting into Uganda um, into we should be getting into Uganda by the end of Q1, hopefully. So through um, the materials, the learning uh, materials, assessments, activation messages for behavioral change, and as well as um, surveys, we have supported uh, not only individuals, but also organizations in terms of um, 
getting um, data, you know, uh, whatever interactions the users have to have um, with our tools, these four tools I have talked about, there, there, there is um, real-time uh, update uh, or reflection on the online reporting dashboard that tracks different KPIs on interactions. So we help program teams track progress, and uh, which leads essentially to um, effective interventions and support not only of their programs, but also the individuals and the users that they are working with. So that is um, the quick overview of what we do uh, as MSHULE. And we are certainly uh, working um, with, with different organizations, you know, um, like, as you said, when, when I joined, um, Mshule um, almost three years ago. Then we primarily uh, worked directly with the consumer, but we have transitioned to dealing with businesses, which essentially means that we get more, I mean, organizations, we get more users to use our product. And when organizations support users, then there is no cost that is transferred to the actual consumer of the product. So um, in my current role, um, I develop and maintain partnerships that empower individuals and organizations to make learning, to make assessments, data collection, and also behavioral change impactful and accessible. Awesome. Do you, do you have an example of kind of a, a big win maybe that you or your team um, <laughs> under operations have had uh, as, you, as you've been on the team? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think for us, um, the biggest, um, how we look at wins is uh, not only from the feedback that we get uh, from the client, which ultimately is that which we wanted you to do, you have done. And in, uh, the, in an ideal situation, you have also exceeded our expectations. But that the users or whatever it is, um, the intervention that uh, we carried out, um, guys, want, I mean, the, the people have actually seen that. So I will go to the most, uh, to, to one of the projects that we ran, uh, that came to an end last year. And for this particular engage, uh, engagement, we supported um, learners in the northern part of the country um, who ranged from around um, uh, 18 years to 75 years. So the fact that we got senior citizens using our platform, accessing content um, to support them in advocacy. In this particular case, we're looking at free prior informed consent. That was a massive win for us. And they could see different ways in which the tool could support them because at the end of the project, they were like, yes, we have really enjoyed this uh, content on uh, free prior and informed consent on land rights, but we also want to get more information on agriculture. We also want to get more information on keeping cattle because for them, that was the primary thing. And I think that is a massive win when the user is uh, when the user is um, sees the potential of the solution that you have give you that you're giving them and how they could how they can iterate it how they can expand it to suit other other areas um, of their other areas of their lives or their livelihoods um, to I mean uh, in in this particular case that is uh, really interesting to think about and, and uh, fascinating how Mshule is uh, scaling and, and making this type of service available to kind of a wide mm -hmm. um, segment of, of the population. You work closely with the CEO and the CTO. Can you tell me more about that element of your role and how you need to, um, you know, in some ways, take direction from their leadership, but in other ways, mm -hmm. feed up um, information and insights from what you're uh, dealing with and seeing with seeing on a daily basis? Absolutely. Um, I also, I mean, I think 
I am very fortunate in that the CEO and the CTO speak in one voice. So I have never found myself in a situation where I did not know what to do because uh, one person thinks this way and the other person does not or probably thinks in a completely divergent uh, way. So um, that unity of vision for me has actually worked really easy and has made things uh, very I mean, has made things seamless um, to say. So with the CEO primarily looking at, um, I mean, I'll, let me just start with both of them. With both the CEO and the CTO, strategy is the, is the main thing, right? So um, we want to make sure that um, the strategy as has been um, presented to the team or has been thought through has um, properly been understood by the different functions and that these functions can break down uh, their tasks or their action plan to reflect and feed and have activities feed directly to strategy. So that is something that I do with both of them. Then now when we come to working with the CTO, the goal is to make sure that every individual has that product mindset, right? So by product mindset is, do we understand and do we approach um, the different things that we are working on uh, with the uh, with the knowledge that we need to create value. So what do we need to deliver and why do we need to deliver it, right? So for everything that we work on, even treating our own colleagues, treating the different projects that we have with the product mindset. So that requires us to, to have EQ and creating values in the deliverables that we have and ultimately delight not only within the team, but also with the clients. I think a lot of times we focus on satisfaction with the clients and we forget about the wellness of the team because if the team is not healthy, if the team is not okay, then that is definitely going to be a problem even in the deliverables that you put out and how you work. So with the CEO, um, the wellness of the team comes um, is actually highlighted. I work closely to her and actually report directly to um, to to her. And and in addition to um, looking at uh, business development uh, together with her, because uh, when it comes to developing um, that particular strategy, um, she has led our efforts even as we work with external consultants. When it comes to um, account management, thinking of projects, how we work with uh, different clients, their satisfaction, and so on and so forth. So internal engagement and external engagement, focusing on how the strategy feels, feeds into the human aspect, as well as the resources that are needed, the resources that are available, and um, how we will bridge that gap. That is what I primarily work with the uh, CEO. So there has not been a conflict of who I report to and what I and, and how I report it so far, that has not occurred. And most of all, we actually have a meeting, you know, the three of us, just to make sure that everyone is on the same page so that even the things that I am working on with the CTO, the CEO is aware of, the things that I'm working with the CEO, the CTO is aware of, and at no one point will anyone be caught blindsided because they did not know something that was working on would potentially impact the overall strategy or the deliverables uh, of the organization. That's great to hear the kind of unity of vision and, and how you and the leadership team are able to work closely together to kind of drive results. Do you also have a team that you directly manage? I do. Um, so I work with, um, with the, directly uh, with the BD and account management teams because that is also part of um, 
I mean, that is that is actually my part of my responsibilities. And even with this team um, itself, we we have scheduled meetings where I speak, I meet and speak with individuals. It's something that I acknowledge right now. You know, um, as a startup, as a small organization, uh, I can comfortably do. And while that is possible, I will do it. But when it gets to a point where we we need to have a scalable approach, it's also something that we have worked on because now. Um, I get uh, some of my team members to even meet with, with each other, define, redefine some of the ideas they have. So the, um, I think it's great when you have um, great supervisors because the lessons that you get from them and how you treat it is something that you also want to make sure that people that report to you get to feel. You don't want to have a situation where you are treated so well and you also treat your employees in a crappy way. That is not to say that when you're not treated well, you should treat uh, the people that report to you in a crappy way. I, I, I honestly think regardless of the kind of employer or the boss that you have, the goal should be to either be like them, to give them, to give the people that report to you the best experience, or to not be like them, to give the people that give you the best experience in events that they are not particularly the best role models. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And I, I saw actually a recommendation that someone wrote on your LinkedIn. Mm. Uh, someone wrote, Phoebe is one of the best bosses I've ever worked with. <laughs> I truly learned a lot and appreciate her work and problem solving skills. She's very good at what she does. So what is the secret? What are the <laughs> actual strategies that you've used uh, with team members that mm -hmm. have been speaking so highly of you? Uh, Chris, I have always been intentional um, with how I engage with people. And, and that is whether um, it is at work or even at home. And this has primarily been as a result of the first boss I had, Dr. Mathu Patel. I am extremely indebted to him and also very fortunate that, this, uh, that um, the bosses I've had subsequently have also fed into that. The goal is, you, you, I mean, to make sure that the place where your employees or people spend majority of the time, people are happy. And while um, being happy 100% of the times may not, or rather, yeah, let me say may not be possible. Maybe, maybe there are those who have hacked that, but may not be possible having unnecessary obstacles or bringing in unnecessary impediments should never ever be something that you actively do. In fact, getting rid of these roadblocks, and sometimes it means sitting down with an employee, finding out how they work and, and see if that can also be accommodated in terms of making this flexible, right? The one thing I do, um, the first week when I engage with an employee, I just want to see how you work because probably some of, the ideas you have are better than what I have, right? And I may even tweak my system to accommodate that and see how I can transfer the same thing to other people. And the other thing is when there is a problem, creating that open door where someone will come and say, okay, fine, I have this issue uh, right now and it's probably affecting my performance. Is there a way we can we can work on it? Or probably this is the suggestion I have to, to work around it. And, and, and sometimes when you need to give feedback, uh, the thing that we were talking about, uh, Chris, which is still extremely difficult, when uh, you probably need to reprimand an employee, when you need to have them on a PIP program, being very clear in terms of what you're communicating. So when the expectations are very clear, 
and you communicate when people have met or exceeded these expectations, when you see that probably they are not on the right path and giving them direct feedback and working together to come with a solution. And when things don't work also, um, it is known that they are not working and what their consequences for that are have actually helped me. It's interesting how receptive people are when you are there, when you are um you actually direct with them um because it's the same feedback i have also gotten it's 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 the same way i have interpreted but i also take um i am also aware that my personality is different from other people and that's where the element of consultation comes in yeah that's so true uh you brought up the topic of uh, pip or performance improvement plan and uh, that's typically a case where someone's underperforming and you want to <laughs> be very clear and transparent with them that they're not meeting the expectations and then mm -hmm. give them a, kind of a focused period of time to demonstrate that they can turn things around or uh, perform in a way that's uh, very objectively measurable. Mm -hmm. um, so that it's very clear to not only you as a supervisor in, in the direct report, but also to HR and other leaders so that a mm -hmm. clear decision can be made on whether that person needs to find a new role within yeah. the company or, or outside the company. Um, are there any other learnings that you've had related to performance management? That still comes to, to dealing with issues um, head on. Sometimes you give so much accommodation and in doing so, you are actually um, undoing and punishing other members of the team. I mean, I think I saw that where um, there was a member of the team who um, struggled with their performance and the supervisor um, at the time did not feel confident to report what the issues were. So the team the, the team members ended up taking on more responsibilities than they actually should have because with this particular issue, I mean, and I think and I understand, was very uncomfortable to deal with head on. So the, the, the one thing that I always say is if you do not address um, an issue or a challenge of an employee underperforming, then you're hurting the whole team. And addressing that does not mean just giving the terms, but you need to get to the root cause of what this underperforming is. Sometimes um, there are issues within the organizations which you can resolve. Other issues are probably um, psychological. And if your organization like ours, uh, and we're very fortunate for that, um, has a medical uh, or health cover that gives you access to mental health uh, specialists, then it's a recommendation that you actually make. So getting to the root cause of the problem, like not sweeping issues under the carpet is also very critical. And you need to have a system under which you do, I mean, you need to have a system through which you do this. Um, Regardless of how good your processes are, the other thing, Chris, is if you do not have a culture, an open culture, or a culture that welcomes people to open up and speak up, then employees will not open will not open up. So in the midst of all these things going on, having efficient systems, having efficient processes, being very detailed and documenting everything, what is the overall culture? This is the thing that people don't, don't talk about, or um, it is assumed, it is implied. But I also think um, culture needs to be explicitly stated. Guys need to be reminded of the culture and not only reminded, but also given the experience where they live it and they see it in action. That's so true. And also uh, mm. touches on that intentionality that you referenced earlier. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned that M. Shule is continuing to grow. And so I imagine mm -hmm. your role is continuing to grow naturally. Yeah. How do you stay 
on top of your own continued professional growth in terms of the skills, in terms of the um, mm -hmm. ambitions that you have for yourself in your career? Um, a friend the last time, told, a while back, told me, um, think of the role that you want or think of an individual that you admire and look at the path that they took. So that is actually one of the approaches I have taken on, uh, where I will um, go and, and look at Chris's profile and say, huh, so these are some of the courses that I could take on um, to improve my uh, professional development. And the other thing is actively reaching out to networks or to individuals who are working within, who are working in the same, um, in the same departments, uh, fields, or um, even organizations similar to mine. That has actually helped a lot as well. So the intentionality of it as well. And um, I think, um, I, I'm very fortunate to have quite a number of friends in the startup world. So a lot of times when it comes to dealing with staff or um, dealing with team members, um, dealing with uh, certain expectations of projects, it's, it helps that there are people who have walked that path. There are people who understand the pain points. There are people who understand your joys um, to, to speak with and to network with. So when the resources are brought I mean, like, um, and in doing so, you actually have rec resources recommended to you. So might be in the form of professional courses, might be in the form of tools as well, and could also even just be other people within the same ecosystem. Amazing. And so um, while I have you, mm -hmm. uh, you've now been in this kind of ed tech uh, sector for a few years now. Mm -hmm. What are some trends that you are seeing um, out in the different markets that you operate in? I think, I mean, the one thing that is there is that definitely there's a lot of collaboration um, that is going on. Uh, the realization or having accepted that Emshule will not do it all, but we'll probably need to work with another organization that probably brings in um, different elements. So there's actually a lot of collaboration in terms of putting out the resources that are important. And the other thing is, um, like say now for EdTech, um, we are looking, and or a lot of organizations are actually looking at the ecosystem as a whole, right? So who are the people that are critical to having um, the learner succeed? And when you're talking about the learner, we are looking at different groups of learners. So there's the very young learner, right? Um, preschool, probably. The, the primary school learners. Then there's also the lower secondary learners. There's the um, upper second, I mean, and so on and so forth. So identifying these different cadres of learners um, who, um, who um, the, the people that actually play an important role in their learning. So it could be parents or guardians, caregivers. Then there's also um, the school ecosystem as well. And finding solutions that support or that feed into each other for synergy. Because the last thing you want is to um, come up with a solution that the parent or the caregiver needs to acquire for the child, but they probably do not have or do not understand the importance of why they even need to do that in the first place. So, I, I, you know, um, working collaboratively with with uh, with the parents as well, with I mean, these different players um, to understand what would make it easier for them to understand the concerns that they have, the fears that they have uh, when it comes to supporting the different learners that are there. And also um, solutions for adult learners as well. There are different reasons why we learn, right? Uh, I personally am studying because I want to be proficient in what I do. I want to grow in my role. Um, and there are people who are studying 
it's it's for fun i also do that sometimes uh, and and probably they were out of i mean they, they stopped studying for one reason or the other so knowing why people are doing what they are doing and creating value for them and i think other than the edtech space there's also there are also trends that are there i think even um for me mostly um in, in the in the startup world i would say um startup has been very open to experiment on and some of these trends, like um, the four-day work week, right? So um, I, Belgium is currently doing it, if I remember right, uh, where you condense your work hours to four days. And, and this has had, you know, mixed feelings. There are those who think that it, it can get uh, to be extremely hectic. Um, there are others who have welcomed it because uh, generally a lot of people think that, feel that two-day weekend, for five day uh, work week is, is not enough. And, and I think Iceland also tested this in 2015, around 2015, yeah? And they noted that um, there was, um, the well-being of the employees improved. So um, the current thing that I, a, a lot of people are also testing out is dealing with work-induced burnout. And, and it's something that even I have tested um, at our place of work where, um, sometimes I think I'm trying to remember 2020 and 2024, where as an organization, we have four day work weeks. This is not taken from your leave, um, your, your leave days. It's just a time when, okay, seems like we're all tired. So um, next week we will work up to Thursday and, and take time off, or we'll probably have a group that comes in, um, that, I mean, that comes in on Friday, but will not come in the next Monday. Four day work week that is not taken from your break. And it actually helps a lot. Is that available to all team members or only certain types of team members? And, and which approach are you using in terms of um, are those hours just added to the, the other four days? Or is it uh, truly like a, you know, losing certain work hours on a, on a weekly basis? It is available to all team members. It is, um, we do not compress the week. The times that we have done that, we have not asked people to work overtime so that they can get that time off. No, it is essentially a mental well. It's a mental uh, a mental health day off. It's as simple as that. Whatever it is you want to do with that day, do it. And we have seen it make a difference. And so, uh, obviously, those those different trials at a national level, mm -hmm. and, and there's also been company level um, mm -hmm. trials, and certainly a lot of companies have started to shift over that uh, to that mm -hmm. in different parts of the world. Um, yeah. How do you, uh, within your role in Mshule, uh, define success? What are you measuring um, during these trials of a four-week, a four-day work week? Um, key thing is employee satisfaction, right? So you you want to know what um, what guys have felt, uh, what they feel in terms of handling their responsibilities, and the other thing is output which we actually get to see pretty quickly. So probably if we are working on creating content, probably um, before, uh, I think we have done this uh, two weeks back to back, after which now we just go back to the regular schedule and you also invite people to take time off. But after that break, after that extended break, we, we, we actually see improved performance. And the one thing that we also intentionally time and we remind people, especially working from home, please do not overwork. 
try as much as possible to stick within the recommended hours. And this is not something that unfortunately we can strictly monitor. It's something that you recommend and you remind people and you hope that will be executed. So um, the, the metrics or how we, how we assess um, whether there has been any change is in terms of the output deliverables and a lot of times um, uh, the quality of work as well changes. So you not only have people meeting the deliverables, but even the quality in terms of um, probably uh, the, the feedback that will come back from the client, the feedback that will also come um, internally in terms of uh, probably things that need feedback from different supervisors. There's very minimal feedback that is given in terms of changes that need to be made or corrections that need to be made. So I think the quality of work is uh, for me the most important metric, I would say, uh, uh, probably at the same level as employee satisfaction. I've also heard that uh, the four day work week, the success is uh, at an individual level dependent on whether that person is being intentional of how they're using that extra day mm -hmm. off. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, how have you been using the extra days off to recharge? I love going to the National Museum. <laughs> and I, I live very, very close by. So a lot of times I will actually go to the National Museum, pick on a section and go through it. Uh, once I am done, not uh, once I am done with that particular section, uh, for me, the key things are, I mean, uh, my favorite sections are obviously on African uh, African history. That is the pre-colonial um, history, how communities lived. And then there's uh, pre-independence and just post-independence Kenya. I, I think each time I go there, it's, I am wowed. Um, if I if I have time after I am done with the museum, then I will go for a walk or a run. So uh, that is actually how I typically um, I, I typically level up and drown myself. Even on regular work weeks, I will leave the house and probably go for a walk or go for a run. Even sometimes in the course of the day, I'm just like, okay, this is becoming a lot. I need to go for a, a thirty minute walk, and it helps. So when I have an extended day, it's probably something that I I will get to do hang out with friends in the event that I probably feel I have more energy. But uh, if it has been an intense week, I'll probably just spend it by myself and grounding. Amazing. It, it certainly sounds like it's uh, opening up doors for you to, <laughs> to um, make the most of, of that extra time. So uh, thank you so much for sharing about your journey and reflecting on the learnings you've had in, mm. in your roles uh, and, and telling us more about what M. Shule is up to and is trying to achieve in its continued expansion. So uh, it's been wonderful uh, spending time uh, chatting about leadership with you and I appreciate um, you being open uh, to reflect. Thank you so much, um, Chris. And um, for our listeners, um, if they want more information on who we are as M. Shule, please check um, m-shule.com and let us work together to bring uh, accessible um, resources to, um, to everyone and uh, in the most impactful way. Um, thank you so much for having me, Chris. And um, this has actually been really fun. <laughs>